0: Good morning. Please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 26. Genesis chapter 26. We'll be starting in verse 6. When a new missionary comes to a field, they often go through a time of being paranoid. You get cheated in markets, and people want to get close to you because they want something from you. Uh, but eventually, you, you get comfortable. You let your guard down. You learn who really wants to be friends with you, and uh, you become an ex, an acceptable outsider, you'll never really be one of them, but uh you can become a a trusted outsider. And this all relates to our passage today because Isaac is going to make some assumptions about people who are other than his people. Uh and here in Maine, we're we're a fairly homogenous people. Gardner is a town that is very white, but we still have locals and we have people from away. And I'm from away. But it's not obvious until I start speaking. And then, of course, uh, in Maine, um, more statewide, we have a bunch of new immigrants that are much farther away than away too. Our, however, even among Mainers, there's always sort of in-groups and out-groups. And when you're with people who, the, who you discern, discern to be like you, then you let your guard down in some way and you're comfortable And when you're with people who are not like you, then you throw up a defensive shield and you do what you have to do in order to survive. And that's what today's sermon is about. It's about being honest in situations where you are vulnerable, and it's about being a Christian outsider. So let's pray, then let's get into our passage. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Please, Lord, teach us from your word today. Holy Spirit, you be our teacher, and no matter what is said from the pulpit, Lord, uh, make sure that everybody gets the right takeaway that you want for them today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Genesis chapter 26, starting in verse 6. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. When the men of that place asked about his wife, he said, She is my sister, because he was afraid to say she is my wife. He thought, The men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah, because she is beautiful. Isaac found himself among outsiders. They aren't like him. The dominant culture around him was different and had obviously very different moral norms. They asked him about his household, in particular his wife, and his defenses went up, and he lied. He assumed that they had lower sexual ethics than him. He assumed they were violent. And for you at your workplace or school or neighborhood, you try to get to know people. They try to get to know you, and there's this tension, right? What if they use facts about me against me? How much do I share? How honest should I be? If you share too much, rumors will fly around. If you share nothing, rumors about you being paranoid will fly around. So how do you honestly portray yourself? Do you portray yourself very honestly, or do you try to make people think that uh, to pe- people something about you that's safer than maybe what the truth is? I don't know. Do you lie about who you are? As a church, we find ourselves in a strange place these days. Judeo-Christian morals dominated the nation's moral stage for a long time. Now it's not the case. It's the case in some areas, but not all areas. So the church, which used to be part of a guiding light, is now often a target. Pastors can get assaulted for their views. Not literally, but lots of negative media, social media attention. Thankfully, I'm not that influential. For Isaac... Because he was in a different place among different people, he felt threatened just by being there. He felt so threatened that he did an indecent thing. He lied. and In his mind, it was probably only a half lie because Rebecca was a relative, a cousin of his. And this whole incident, incident by the way, is a repeat of the past because Abraham did this twice. It all seems so silly from the outside, but when we're in a sticky situation, how often do we resort to silly things? half truths which are complete lies uh, just to save our own skin how often do we put together uh, how, excuse me how often do we put another in the crosshairs so that we aren't the target and do you really think it'll be okay after everything is found out and everything will be found out even if it isn't really found out do you think rebecca saw her husband as a chivalrous and noble knight after this as a Christian in the world, when people start asking you about your beliefs, especially those which are controversial, what do you do? Do you minimize your unscientific beliefs? Do you say something like, well, I believe in the resurrection, at least as a metaphor? Or how about if they ask about your, your moral beliefs? Well, the sexuals and morals in the Bible reflect an old world view of marriage's importance in society, and all those things are really somewhat different now. You don't really disavow what the Bible says, but you're certainly tempted to downplay things uh, that um, inside the church's four walls you would actually boldly affirm. But out in public, you might disavow or you might distance yourself from those things. I might even be tempted to preach very differently if there were news cameras recording at the back of the sanctuary. You never know. But you'll be pressed at some point, and eventually... You'll either have to stand and affirm your real beliefs, no matter how unpopular, or retreat entirely into a lie. In that moment of testing, what will you do? Let's keep reading. Verse 8. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. So as Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, She is really your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? Isaac answered him, Because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, What is this that you have done to us? One of the men might well have slept with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So it came time to fess up. Isaac had to tell an even harder truth. Not only did he lie about his wife, but he had to admit what his motives were. He thought less of the Philistines, so he lied because he thought that they were a bad people. And it's hard to admit, hard to tell your hosts that you thought they were evil people. And the Philistines weren't good people, but apparently they weren't planning on treating Isaac as badly as he assumed they would. So he looks like the worse of the two. Abimelech gets the, the moral high ground and preaches to Isaac, instead of Isaac proclaiming the message of the one God to Abimelech. What's more, Abimelech understands the effect of cultural sin on a nation. He fears that if one man defiled one woman, the whole nation might have come under God's judgment. And folks, it's true. When a whole nation tolerates one sin too much, then the whole nation uh, gets affected by the dam bursting. Whole new categories of sin come from the toleration of one single, solitary, harmless-looking sin. Let's talk about hypocrisy for a moment. In your life, whatever false front you're putting out there for people to see will eventually come crashing down. It's never a good idea to be fake or to put on airs. You aren't perfect, neither am I. Let's all just admit it and then start working on getting better. Now, let's let's all be the best version of ourselves that we can be, but not let's not become another person. If you like Taco Bell... Admit it. I'll disagree with you, but I won't disown you. If you confess worse sins to me, you probably won't be kicked out of anything. Confessing is actually good for the soul. Being open and honest is good for the soul. Confessing really is the first step to, on the road of recovery. Being open and honest is liberating. In the Scarlet Letter, the Reverend Mr. Dimsdale died because he didn't confess. The stress of hiding sin literally killed him. When he confessed, well, he hadn't felt so good in years for just a few minutes before he died. I don't intend to ever use this pulpit to make you think that I'm better than I am. It's good for me to let all of you know that I'm an imperfect pastor. I'm not sinless by far, and I'll offend you at some point. I'll let you down if I haven't already. Keeping up appearances destroys a pastor's family, and when exposed, hypocrisy gives the world another arrow to shoot at the church. The church is assumed to be perfect, but we aren't. Let me just set the record straight. This congregation is filled with imperfect people. The difference between us and the world is that we're forgiven and we're getting better according to God's standard of what is better. And the consequences for you as an individual or us as a church of putting forward a false front or trying to hide the things we believe that are less socially appealing, is that people are going to get hurt when the walls collapse. Rebecca was put in danger. God saved her from the consequences of Isaac's sin, thankfully. But look who was more concerned for the safety of her body and reputation, the pagan king. Let's keep reading. Verse 11. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people, anyone who harms this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Isaac didn't protect his wife, the non-believer did. Listen to me, if if Christian people, if the church won't do what's right and God has to raise up non-believers to head up the necessary charities and ministries that the world needs, then we've really failed. We're supposed to be leading the charge to minister to the broken people of the world. We're supposed to be the ones in tune with human suffering more than anyone else. We're supposed to be the loudest voice proclaiming the good news that people don't have to live this way anymore. We're supposed to be the ones offering freedom from sin and depravity. And our freedom, our definition of freedom is different from the world's. It's true. It should be different. But if the world is the first place people turn for salvation, they won't find it. The church needs to at least be second on the list of places to turn, and they'd better find something different and better here. In this situation, Abimelech did a better job at protecting the dignity of Rebecca than Isaac did. He at least was more passionate about it. Not just a scolding for taking another man's wife. Death. Now let's connect this to the New Testament. In First Peter Peter talks to Christian people living in a pagan world about uh, being above reproach. I'm going to quote two verses. First, chapter 2, verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. God doesn't intend for you to live a very secluded life. He intends that the world sees what a Christian life looks like. And he intends to show that it is a better way of living, to the point that if even if non believers aren't persuaded by your life to become Christians, they at least show by their patterns of living that the Christian way of life was more fruitful. But it won't be much benefit of them until unless they believe in the end. Now look at chapter two, verse nine. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We are priests, a royal priesthood, but we're not priests for each other. Jesus is my priest. Jesus is your priest if you're a believer. I'm only for a priest for someone who doesn't know Jesus. I've got neighbors, friends, family members who don't know Jesus. I'm their priest. I'm the bridge between them and God. My life needs to be good and moral enough that non-believers come to me when their lives fall apart because they know I have something they need. If their lives are more moral than mine, they're not going to come to me for anything. Sinful and broken people came to Jesus all the time for forgiveness, for healing, and to put their lives back on track. The world around him accused him of being a glutton and a drunkard and a Sabbath violator, but the real sinful and broken people of his day knew that he had something that the Pharisees didn't have. There's a, a woman named Rosaria Champagne Butterfield, and and with a, a name like that, she has to be important. She is a professor at Syracuse University. She was a non believer, very far from the Lord. And then uh actually to do some research for an article or for a book or something, she became friends with some Christian people. Um and she began going to their home for dinner. And for conversation and really for research. And in the end, she became a believer and became a very changed person. And her testimony uh, and her advice on how to reach out to nonbelievers, she wrote in a book called uh, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Her contention is that nonbelievers are more likely to come to faith if they sit around the table and share life with Christians. Accounts of first-century Christianity confirm her hypothesis, too. Effective evangelism happened in homes around tables. Mrs. Butterfield and her husband basically have an open door around dinnertime at their house, and people from all walks of life come and sit at their huge dinner table every night. It's not fancy food or a fancy setting. It's just hospitality. It's their platform to show Christ's love and concern, and they get the chance to share the gospel a lot. From the comfort and sanctuary of their own home. And so here's my challenge for you. You've got some people in your life that are outsiders, just like Isaac. He was an outsider in a different culture. And you've got outsiders around you all the time, too. And there may be some level of suspicion between you and your neighbors or people around you, there may be distrust. But God has called you to evangelize such people. Not sociopaths that you fear, but people in your life that need to know the Lord. So invite them to dinner once a month or over the next 12 months. Take them from being outsiders to being insiders. Share life and conversation around the table. Share very openly. Your openness will encourage them to be open. And open lives tend to lend themselves to open hearts. Open hearts can hear the gospel and not shun it so easily. You need to be fearlessly open in our world. The pagans around you might not be as fierce as you think they are. You need to be open and honest in order to grow as a person. You need to be open and honest to outsiders if you're going to have a chance of building enough trust so that you can share the gospel with them. Our homes and lives need to be as open as the waiting arms of Jesus. Trust God. Be vulnerable. Be fearless. And open your life and home to the people of the world. Be the host, even while we are strangers sojourning in this world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. And we ask, Lord, for the boldness and the opportunity to invite somebody into our home for a simple meal and some wonderful conversation. And, Lord, please always let that conversation eventually come around to you and give us the chance to share our homes, our food, our lives, and our Lord, our our message, and our gospel with the people around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.